Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bushman on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refused to use, no doubt, continues now. This is the broadcast for November the 7th of the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our two of two. The goal is always to promote God, family, and country, and to protect life, liberty, and property, and to do so in the traditions of our founding fathers. The supreme law of the land is the blueprint for liberty, the Constitution of the United States of America. The checks and balances are brilliant, and we need to use them to restore the republic. Furthermore, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, I got Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, with me as always. Welcome, Lowell. I'm good to be here, Sam. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, sir. We also have Mickey Willis with us, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know who he is, he's a CEO of a company called Elevate. It's a media company. He's a renowned American film director, filmmaker, producer, uh, and social media personality. Uh, they claim he was a liberal before. Now they claim he's whacked out and right wing. Neither are true. He's just an American that wants the truth. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Does that introduction make sense? It seems like they like to attack you no matter what you do, sir. For the truth, <laughs> it makes sense, attack, although, aren't you? Uh, although, oh, yeah, oh, always, yeah. After the release of Plandemic, um, then, of course, it, 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 a lot of attacks happen. But the truth is, is I was a liberal. And that is why the attacks are so in intense, because when you leave that cult, when you wake up from it and you become a traitor in their eyes, um, you become the number one enemy to take down because they don't want anyone to report what they've seen and witnessed behind the curtain. Yeah, the problem when you say you were a liberal, though, see, the, the founding fathers used to be liberals and, and the conservatives were the ones that wanted to stay with old King George. So I don't even know what that, that means is what I'm driving at. So. Yeah, so let me back that up and say I was a far lefty. There you go. All right. And so people mm -hmm. change, people learn, people grow. Is that a crime? I was born and raised in California, so I didn't really have a choice. It, you kind of get indoctrinated into that side, and uh, you know, from a very young age, you get hypnotized into believing that everything on the right is is horrible and greedy and bigoted and and wrong and satanic and all that. And then you realize later, you go, "Oh, that's all projection." There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So you've been working on Plandemic, incredible series. Give people the thumbnail of how that started, and then tell people where you are, because you've been working on this for a long time, and the issue just continues to grow. The facts just keep coming out, don't they, sir? They absolutely do. And uh, two and a half years later, after releasing what has become the most seen movie in history, which, of course, we could not have uh, planned that or, or even imagined that that would be possible on a little low-budget independent documentary, that has now been seen well over, probably edging towards one billion and a half views at this point, because it was it was one billion uh, a year and a half ago, and that was uh, you know a lot lot of factors that led to that. Of course, having the world on lockdown with very little to consume other than corporate media, and then suddenly having a film coming along that countered the uh, false narrative, when so many people were in a place of wondering if they were crazy and if there was more to the story, and so pandemic came along and. And the people picked it up and carried it around the world because they knew that it was, um, you know, the number one um, uh, thank you that we've received from people is thank you for letting me know that I wasn't crazy during a very insane time. And uh, two and a half years later, every claim within Pandemic 1 and 2 have been 100% uh, validated, uh, which even shocked me because I, I thought. Uh, not you know, only 100% validated to the point where you can't even really with a straight face debate it anymore. 
No, you can't. You know, and the things they call this crazy foreign deplatformed. It's not only is it the most seen uh, movie in history, but it's the most censored movie in history. And what we were censored for are all the things that they're talking about now, from it being a lab leak and and uh, the fact that the vaccines were going to do harm and all the stuff that we uh, predicted, uh, which was more than a prediction. Uh, the, the incredible scientist Judy Michaelvitz, who was featured in Pandemic One, she knew what was going on, so she wasn't guessing. She had worked under Anthony Fauci for a number of years, and she knew exactly what the game is and how it's being played and what was what would be the outcome of it. And we're all facing that right now. So. Um, you know, but it, it uh, you know, thanks to her and uh, a lot of great, my great research team, uh, we, it, it is now clear that uh, we got everything right. And what version or what uh, are you on now? We're on number three right now. Number three is by far the biggest and uh, the most important project that I've ever been involved in. For me, number two was the bombshell, which uh, far less people saw it. It's still a lot. We're up to a couple hundred million views on Pandemic 2, and I invite everyone to go see it. All my films are free, and they will always be free. And they're all at uh, PlandemicSeries.com. Um, but see Pandemic 2, which is called Indoctrination, and uh, check that out, because that, that was uh, you know, quite a bombshell revelation of following the, the money um, and fi finding out who is really behind this and who profits from it. And uh, now Pandemic 3 is the big picture. It's going all the way back. When I say all the way back, I mean back to the cradle of civilization to examine the master-slave relationship and understanding that that's what is alive and at work today is, is this, this relationship between the ruling class and the working class that has always been there and will always be there until the workers stand up to say we've had enough. And hopefully that's what's occurring right now. So um, uh, we are calling Pandemic 3 the Great Awakening because I, I firmly believe that that's what's taking place in our country and our world right now is a, a mass critical awakening. Pandemicseries.com to watch all three films. And here's what's interesting. Mr. Willis was asked, why does he offer his movies and book for free? Answer, the information revealed in the Pandemic series, whether it's book and or film, is not mine, he says. It's not mine to profit from. It belongs to the people. I'm simply returning it, he says. What an incredible stance. Lowell Nelson, my co-host, uh, welcome uh, and why don't you jump in right now, sir? Well, this is awesome. Um, uh, just totally awesome. I just, uh, you know, you remind me of uh, Naomi um, Wolf, uh, who also was, was, was on the left. And, but her interest is not, not partisan. I mean, it, her interest is in liberty. It's in freedom and understanding the real roots of freedom and, and also the real threats to freedom. And so my hat's off to you, sir, for putting this together. It's a pandemic series. And telling the truth. I mean, being a truth teller uh, is dangerous in today's civilization, as Ron Paul always said, right? Um, three, uh, truth is treason in, the, in an empire of lies. And that's what we're living in right now. It's an empire of lies in, in medicine, in pharma, in military, in foreign, uh, you know, foreign policy, in, in domestic policy. Every education, ab absolutely everything. And so... Uh, we we need truth tellers like you. Every one of us needs to be a truth teller. So that's I, I, I don't have a question for you right now. I'm just yeah. Well, just look, odd. look, Mickey is going to be, ladies and gentlemen, at the Red Pill Expo coming up this Saturday and Sunday in Salt Lake City, Utah. Get your personal tickets in person and or virtually now. TheRedPillExpo.com is where you can do that. But Mickey Willis, you have a uh, speech prepared. Why don't you give us kind of a, 
kind of a teaser for that, will you? Absolutely. Well, it's more than a speech. I'm going to be premiering about a 15-minute clip from Plandemic 3 and one of the most important moments within the movie itself featuring G. Edward Griffin, the, the man who founded the Red Pill Expo that we'll be speaking at, um, who I consider to be one of the most important living figures of this age. If, if people really knew the work that this man has done behind the scenes and the warnings that he gave America and the world starting in the 1960s, every one of those warnings and predictions is exactly what's taking place right now. He was spot on. And he learned this all through doing what very few people do, and that is reading the manifestos from the Communist Party, the Socialist Party, and they lay it out very clearly what they're planning on doing. And so he came out and told the world, like, they're serious, take it seriously, this is what's going to be happening. And when you see his talks from the 60s, it's quite alarming. And when I discovered them and became friends with Ed, I said, I want to use a big part of your work, uh, your legacy within Plandemic 3 to show compared to modern-day footage and events that it's actually happening right in front of us right now so we can perhaps end this idea that people go to when they don't want to face reality when they say it'll never happen here. Well, it's already happening here, and it has been for decades, and so we need to wake up to that fact and realize we have an incredible opportunity in front of us right now, and that opportunity requires every one of us, literally every one of us, to step up and to, um, I think it was Ben Franklin who said, if we don't hang together, we all hang separately. And it's very important that we realize that. It's, it's not up to me. It's not up to leaders. The day of the guru, the day of uh, the people being followers is over. This is, uh, we are all charged with the responsibility and quite, quite honestly the honor of defending our nation, which is the firewall for the world. And so if you really care about this gift we call life, then we will all step up and at the very least use our voices. We will drop all of the conditioning that has us afraid of being disliked or you know, have to deal with a little discomfort of, of people shaming us online or whatever that is. And just get over that and start speaking our mind everywhere we can, at every opportunity we can, and speak it boldly and clearly. And if you have more op opportunity than just using your voice, then, then, then join us in the fight. Put your resources into this fight, everything you have, because the people that are hoarding their cash when the dollar's about to collapse, none of that makes sense anymore. It's like if you want to save your future, your family, your legacy, and create an environment for future generations where they can have the freedoms and liberties and the, the enjoy their lives and families uh, the way that we got to in our youth, then we will put all of our resources and energy behind this fight because we are making incredible progress right now. But this is the moment that we have to step up with our greatest power in numbers and, and, and unify. For those to, who oppose the truth, they're in crisis mode now. All they can do is throw these ad hominem attacks against us. All they can do, they're out of gas. All they can do is attack us personally these days, Mickey. Seems like the truth is coming out so boldly, nobly, independently, and clearly that they have nothing left. It's, it's very true, and it's, it's obvious to anyone really paying attention that, um, as they say, when you're in a debate, once you start calling names, you've lost the debate. And right now, it's clear they've lost the debate. They, they don't have any facts on their side. There, there's nothing they can point towards. They can just call a bunch of names. But then when they're challenged on that, when they say, show me where that person is a racist, show me where that person is a sexist, show me where that person is a fascist, they, they don't have the evidence to point towards that. When it's uh, incredibly, um, and this is part of my talk that I'll be giving at, at the 
Red Pill Expo coming up here this weekend. It's really about breaking the spell of mass hypnosis. And it's easy for us to point at the other side and just say they're all, they're all under the spell. But it's really important for us all to consider it. to what degree are we perhaps under, under a spell and, and misconstruing, even if it's just the outlook we have on being human. Because we've all been uh, programmed to see humanity as this failed experiment. Our movies forever have been. There's so many sci-fi movies that equate humanity to a virus or a plague or a parasite. And all of this has been planted within you know, our, our social networks so that we see ourselves as less because when we, the moment we see ourselves as less than, then it justifies doing harm to each other. And we need to rise above that. And I mean, I mean from the sinners to the people who consider themselves to be true Christians. Like let's step up, back off on the judgment a bit and start to see each other again as humans even if we totally disagree to understand that this is the moment we need each other and the only way that we're going to come back to each other is by literally uh, to respond to each other as Christ would, as children of God, and understand that we've all made mistakes. I come from the far left. I've done a full 180 in my life. If I can do it from as far left as I was, anyone can do it. And so it's let's give each other the opportunity without shame and without this, this rhetoric of they're the stupid ones or any of that because these mind control programs, and that's truly what it is, they have been in operation for decades within our nation and our world. They were designed for highly intelligent, deeply caring people. It's weaponized I'm morality. A, I'm kind of a, an enigma, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a super sinner and a saint at the same time. I'm a super sinner, sad but true. Uh, but I do my very best to follow Jesus Christ. And that's where their real you. attacks uh, are coming, I think, Mickey. They really want to attack anything that is praiseworthy, good, honorable, uh, truthful. They want to attack really everything related to Christ uh, and uh, a belief in God where there's a hope. And they want to destroy any of that from every element of our society. Isn't that really where it's going? Pandemic is only part of the big picture, right? Exactly. And as you said in your opening, you know, family, God, and country. The, those, are, those are the three strongest pillars that we have. And so all of those are under attack. And, and, and uh, you know, the one that's most troubling to me, of course, is family. Because if you look at my lower third, as they call it in the film world, which is the credit that goes under your name on anything that I do, it says father slash filmmaker. I'm a father first. That's my job. That's really what I came here for. That's my life's purpose to raise. I have two young boys, and my job is to be there for them and to provide the, the, uh, the best experience that I can possibly give them before I set them free out into the world. And when you have family, when you have God, when you love your country, you're unstoppable. And so if they can chop one of those pillars down, it takes three minimum of three pillars to hold up a structure. The moment you have two, that, that structure comes down. And so those are the three pillars that we must maintain and fight for because as long as we have those three, we can support the structure that makes this country and has always made this country um, the, the, the place that people want to escape to. It, that says everything, that we have so many migrants trying to get here. Uh, is because we have an incredible country that we're, we all should be grateful for, and it's worth fighting for. And if, if God country isn't worth fighting for, then I don't know what is. All right, there you have it. Lol, chime in now, sir. Well, uh, you'll be interested to know, Mickey, that back at uh, Branson, I was just down, uh, out there this past weekend, Friday and Saturday, for the Clay Clark's, uh, you know, uh, Reawakening America tour. 
And right. the sentiment that you just expressed that was, was echoed by General Michael Flynn in his closing remarks at that conference, he, he encouraged us to be steady, you know, and to really recognize who we are. Because if we truly recognize our own, the, own, the, the, the divinity within each one of us, we are children of God. And, and to the extent that we fail to recognize that divinity, then we fail to reach our full poten potential. But to the extent that we do recognize that divinity, we can protect the freedom, the liberty, the life, the, the liberty, the property that God gave us, put into our stewardship. Then, then we can do great things, and, and we will do great things. He just encouraged, he counseled, he, uh, he, he said, be steady. And, and uh, I, I hear that in the sentiment that you're expressing and I look forward to the uh, the Red Pill Expo. By the way, they were passing out flyers <laughs> for the Red Pill Expo in Salt Lake City at that Branson City, uh, Branson, Missouri event. I mean, they had flyers for the Red Pill Expo at, at that, you know, at that event. So I expect a, a big turnout, and I just encourage all of our listeners to to buy a ticket to the Red Pill Expo in Salt Lake City this coming weekend. I really thank you for your words there, and I have to say that I've I've been to countless events, particularly in the past two and a half years, and and I I spoke once shortly after the release of Pandemic One at Red, the Red Pill Expo. So this is now two or three years ago, or I guess it would be two years ago, and I I honestly uh, share that it is to date my favorite event that I've spoken at, and it is the quality of the event. It's not enormous in size it's 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 contained enough that there's a real great deal of focus on the presentations that are happening they are structured well they are chosen very carefully um, and and the, the the value the value of what I learned from my single experience at Red Pill Expo I, I have taken with me um, in, into my life in, in every way so I highly recommend that people attend this event all right, Mickey, we know you got to fly because you're busy getting ready for the red pill and everything else. But, man, we sure appreciate all that you do. We're grateful for your leadership, for your uh, desire for truth. You know, it doesn't matter where we all start out. I'd rather be uh, one foot out of hell headed for heaven than one foot out of heaven headed for hell. So, you know what, uh, whether you're left or this or that, you know what, we all start out with kind of what we've, what we've been taught, what we've been indoctrinated, what we've been given. The key is to unlearn uh, the, the uh, disinformation. Uh, and to truly learn and embrace and have the guts to stand up for truth. And that's what you've done, and we're grateful for your involvement. We're grateful for your leadership and for your friendship, sir. Oh, I appreciate your such kind kind words. I really, I, I really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing, too, and it's an, it's an honor to do this work. Any parting shot as you, uh, you know, encourage people to go to the uh, Red Pill coming up? Well, I just tell people, you know, hang, hang in there We're, uh, and buckle up. We haven't seen the worst of it yet. The, when when the dragon is being slayed, that's when it breathes the hottest fire, and and so it's not going to go down without a, a, a final burst of of uh, hot air, and um, and so we really we we need to prepare for that. But the good news is is this is the fight that we came here for. The, everything within mythologies of, of the human story that we've been telling ourselves since the beginning of time suggests that at the very end of this battle, that the good wins. And so as people step closer into evaluating what is good and what is evil on this planet, I think there's been a, 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 a concerted effort to confuse people between uh, understanding and observing what is good and what is bad. But people are starting to feel that now because as they lose the trust 
and people that they consider to be their leaders, and they're, they're, they're needing to find that internal compass within themselves, and that's leading them to what is good and what is right. And so just buckle up, people, hang on, and we will see the other side of this together. I have no doubt about that. Amen to that. Mickey Willis, everybody, stable marriage, wonderful children, family man. He puts father first in his incredible long list bio of uh, really rock star stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate him and all that he does. Plandemicseries.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, there we have it. You know what? Gird up your loins, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a work to do. It's time to be about our father's business. That is the sacred cause of liberty. Plandemicseries.com to watch the two movies that are out, the third one that's coming up, and he will be speaking at the Red Pill Expo uh, coming up. Uh, and, Lowell, you're going to go to the Red Pill too, right? Absolutely. It's on my calendar, Sam. Wow, you yeah, go everywhere, man. man. I wanted to go to Branson. I just couldn't get there. There's just too many places to be, too many things to do. But, man, you rolled into Branson last Friday, Saturday, the Waken America or Rewaken America tour with uh, General Flynn and, and Clay Clark and others, uh, dear friends of ours. Um, they had a great event. How many people were there? Well, they, they were sold out. Uh, they, we filled the theater um, at the mansion uh, house there in Branson, the School for Performing Arts, or I think that's the name of it, and uh, it was packed to the, the the top of the balcony. I mean, it, every seat was filled, uh, well sold out. They had a, a vendor tent outside as well. People uh, just came and went uh, all all the two days, um, visiting the vendor booths and hearing the speakers and, and meeting the speakers. <laughs> they got to take pictures with with, uh, with General Michael Flynn. America's general, they, and Eric Trump came and spoke on the first day. We got to take pictures with him. Um, we got to take pictures with uh, Cash Patel. Um, you know, some of these notable uh, people, even the photographer for uh, Donald Trump, his name is, uh, last name is Ho, let's see, H-O. Anyway, photographer for, for Donald Trump for two years, he was there. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a big, big event. People from all over the country, you know, not just in Branson, Missouri. In fact, there were fewer people from Branson compared to the, the whole audience. In other words, you know, maybe 10% of the audience was from Missouri, <laughs> from Branson. We had people from Texas and, and Iowa and, uh, you know, just from all over the country. And it truly was um, a, a great event. Our own Robert Scott Bell spoke. Uh, Robert Scott Bell is here in Utah, and he flew out uh, for the event as well. So, they probably 30, 40, 50 speakers. I'm not sure how many total, but uh, it truly was a magnificent event. And if I, if I could say one more thing about that, echoing what um, uh, Mickey Willis just said, um, there is a theme to these, and it is that uh, you were born for a time uh, such as this. Um, Mickey was born to do what he's doing right now. <clears throat> That's part of his uh, mission, his earthly assignment, and each one of us have a mission to fulfill, whether it's a radio broadcasting or movie production, each one of us can do something in this sacred cause of liberty. Sam? Ladies and gentlemen, one of the speakers at the uh, Reawaken tour was Seth Keschel. He talked about electile dysfunction, talking about <laughs> elections. They say it was really funny uh, and a great speech, but you know what? On the eve of the elections, if you will, Election Day is tomorrow, Tuesday, November 8th, ladies and gentlemen. We really want you to uh, become a VIP. What is that? A VIP voter is somebody who votes in person. It's critically important to vote in person, Lol. 
Well, and I'll tell you why, Sam. Many of us can probably guess why, but if you don't vote in person, then you're probably going to vote early, which means that your ballot gets to the county uh, offices early. They know who's voted, but there's also been people um, that they know who haven't voted. And we can get into that uh, right after this uh, important uh, break, Sam. Ladies and gentlemen, hard-hitting talk radio at your fingertips, live and on demand at LovingLiberty.net. Spread the word, share the love, tell the tale of truth, would you please? This is Liberty Roundtable Live. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. Live and on your radio, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bushman, Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org on your radio. You've got to become a VIP. What does that stand for? A vote in person voter tomorrow. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is election day tomorrow. you got to understand, we have got to vote. And you've got to vote for good, honest, wise men to fill these offices. But let's talk about uh, why it's so important to vote in person, ladies and gentlemen. Lowell? Well, everybody um, knows, well, not everybody knows this, and so that's why we're talking about it. <clears throat> it turns out that anyone can get voting records. Now, they, 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 they don't know how you voted, but they know whether you voted. And so there, if you, you can get voting records for your county or for your state, whatever, and thereby know who habitually votes. You know, they, and it's uh, roughly, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 percent of the voting public on on uh, you know, presidential election years. And then that cut drops in half on midterms. Now, tomorrow is a midterm. It's not, you know, there's no president, uh, presidential candidates on the ballot. And so you so everybody knows that there will be fewer people voting tomorrow than than two years ago and, and fewer people tomorrow than two years hence. And so knowing this. Uh, campaigns, uh, they can get a hold of the voting records of people who not only do they know your voting habits, but they also know whether you have voted yet this election. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they, they can know. Campaigns give an updated list every day of who has voted. How do they, why do they do that? Well, because they want to drive their voters to the polls to make sure that their candidate gets the votes of the people who have pledged to vote for their candidate. Well, because the campaigns are getting this information every day, and they know who's voted and who hasn't voted, and they also can make some pretty good educated guesses on who is not going to vote in the midterm election tomorrow. And that means that that gives them an opportunity to manufacture a ballot for such people. People who they think will not vote tomorrow on their own have decided to sit this one out, and they will manufacture ballots for those voters and submit them as though the voter had actually voted. You you may look askance at this initially and say, what? I mean, people don't do that. Well, we proved that people do that in the last election by canvassing uh, about 40,000 votes cast in Clark County, Nevada. A bunch of my friends uh, went down there, volunteered, canvassed uh, areas, and found 
uh, about 17,000 people who signed affidavits affirming that their vote had been um, counterfeited. Uh, in, in other words, they still had their ballot on their kitchen table, for example, and yet someone had voted for them. Or the vote came from a construction lot, somebody who doesn't even live there, or maybe an apartment complex where nobody had, had moved in yet, and yet the votes came from those areas. So we know that this goes on. Well, if you vote, if you wait to, to, to vote on election day, and then, and, and, and so the very first thing, you, you walk in there to vote, they'll look at your name up, and, and if they tell you that you've already voted, then you call the sheriff immediately and say someone is trying to, to use, you know, to vote for me. That's what we call voter fraud. Someone uh, casts about for you, and yet you haven't voted yet, that is voter fraud. Now, there, hopefully, no one has voted for you yet, and then you cast a vote tomorrow, um, and and that means that the, the powers that be, the campaigns and the people who would do dirty uh, in this election, they don't have nearly as much time to react, right? They can't manufacture ballots quickly for uh, everybody who, you know, they, they, they want to when they, they, it's the last day of the so-called election. We don't have election day anymore, folks. We have election month. And that's one of the things that we got to stop. we got to go back to election day so that it becomes increasingly difficult to, to, uh, to commit election fraud. But and ladies and gentlemen, if they manufacture a vote for you and then you vote on election day in an audit, they can tell whether it was a mail-in ballot for you or whether it was an election day ballot. Uh, and therefore, it's very hard for them because they can get caught very easily. And they're actually developing software that can tell if you vote on that day. Then they can either, one, you know, swap out your vote. Uh, Etc. But you know you got to vote in person because then it's a lot harder for them to manufacture ballots for you, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give you a statistic to back up Lowell's point here. I don't know if you know this, but from the American Family Association, AFA dot uh, net, I think it is, uh, or it's org. I'll have to look. Anyway, only about fifty percent of Christians in America are registered to vote, and believe it or not, only about fifty percent of those actually vote in a given election cycle that means 75 percent of christians aren't voting well wow that's serious man we gotta fix that (laughs) that is the point ladies and gentlemen so i look at that and i say you know what we've got to we've got to vote for the right people ladies and gentlemen um the story it's not yours to give really highlights the reality check from history about how important it is to vote for the right people Lowell. This is such a great story. Sam, I have read this, I don't know, a dozen times over the past 20, 30, 40 years. It's the story of Davy Crockett and one of his constituents, Horatio Bunce. Now, Davy Crockett was elected to Congress from the state of Tennessee in 1827. And it turns out that he ran for re-election in two years later, in 1829. And, um, and, and as he was out campaigning for re-election, he he encountered a farmer named Horatio Bunce. And, and so, of course, Crockett asked for, him, uh, asked for his vote, and Bunce politely responded that although he had voted for Crockett two years before, he would not vote for him again in 1829. Well, David Crockett was always a sincere guy, an honest guy, and he was taken aback by this. He, he frankly asked Bunce why he wouldn't be voting for him this time. And, and Horatio Bunce then did a very patriotic and honorable thing. He explained specifically why he would not be voting for Davy Crockett. 
he explained that that uh, Crockett had supported a bill in the previous congressional session that uh, that that demonstrated that Crockett had no understanding of the Constitution and therefore was not qualified to be in Congress. Or just think of all the congressmen that have no understanding of the Constitution that aren't qualified to be in Congress. Well, this mystified Crockett, and he asked, well, he couldn't think of a bill that he had supported that had violated the Constitution. Well, this is when Horatio Bunce reminded him that he had, in fact, voted for a bill that provided $20,000 to help people in Washington, D.C. who had lost their homes in the fire, at the fire of, I think it was 1828. Well, Crockett acknowledged that, yes, he had supported the bill. He said that the Treasury was overflowing, and he felt that helping those struggling families was the right thing to do. Well, Bunce then pointed out that the Constitution does not authorize Congress to appropriate funds to help out needy people. He said the Crockett and the other members of Congress should have used their own personal funds to help out the family. In other words, uh, monies raised by taxes were, quote, not yours to give, end of quote. And that's where the, the title of the essay comes, uh, Not Yours to Give. Well, um, Davy Crockett, being an honest uh, gentleman, he immediately recognized the validity of Bunce's point, and he vowed never to do it again. He, and he, he said, look, if you can get people together, I will publicly apologize to them and promise never to make that mistake again. Well, so Horatio Bunce organized a campaign event for Crockett in his area. A week later, he came and spoke. There were about 1,000 people there, and David Crockett explained to them the folly of his vote, why it was wrong, and publicly acknowledged the validity of Horatio Bunce's point. And he vowed and promised never again to support a congressional appropriation to help out people in need. Now, that's the end of the, of the story, Sam. And, and, you, and your listeners will remember that David Crockett later gave his life at the Alamo. And uh, he was a great man in so very many ways, Sam. But that's the story. And, and the reason I, I mentioned that story today, Sam, is because we have our Congress is, is littered with congressmen who don't understand that they don't have the authority to give money out to people in need. They, they should not be involved in propping up, you know, people who don't work, uh, people that they locked down, people who, ha you, know, ha ha you know, suffered, you know, losses in their businesses or whatever. That's not the proper role of government, Sam. It, it's not. And we just need to get people out there. We need a citizen population who understands the proper role of government and who understands that Congress should not be throwing money at welfare programs, you know, to, to prop people up. This is where, you know, charities and churches should be, you know, could be stepping in if, if the people weren't taxed so heavily uh, by our government uh, that, that then throws their money uh, at, the, at these people and their needs. Now, I'm not being unsympathetic. So Crockett immediately recognized the validity of Bunce's point. He vowed not to do it again, thought that would be enough, but no. Bunt said, hey, you know what, Crockett, if you will tell all the people that it was wrong to do it, not only would I vote for you, I will encourage others to vote for you as well. Well, you look at the humility uh, of a Davy Crockett. He literally did that. He went out in front of everybody and said, you know what, I was wrong, and I'll never do it again. And uh, this story is real. 
in terms of the change we can help people make, the understanding we can bring to the table, the education, the commitment, the morality, the integrity, the honor, and the humility that it takes to truly serve the people, Lowell. And that, those are the kind of people we're seeking for when we vote in person tomorrow, sir. How many people do you, in Congress, Sam, do you know who, who would actually stand up and acknowledge a mistake like that and apologize for casting a vote for uh, a bill like that, Sam? I mean, just give me a guess. Uh, yeah, guess a number of how many people in Congress today do you think would do that? Uh, maybe two or three at best. And that's all yeah. 535 members, right? I do believe yeah. there are two or three that might actually do that. I do too. I think uh, I, I think there's probably half a dozen, maybe up to, to ten that would do that because you know there are more people. I, I always talk about you know uh, Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and so forth, but I think there are more than that, and I'm becoming better and better acquainted with them the more I circulate. You know, I've been focused so much on state politics, I, I don't really pay much attention to national. But you know, the, the Brunson, the Branson thing this past weekend, I you know and and studying news events and so forth. I am acquainted more now with some of there's there's probably a dozen good people in Congress. But I hope know. there's that many. But remember there's a lot that might admit privately, hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. Uh Bunt was right and say I won't do it again. There's not a lot of people that would come out publicly and say, Look, I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong and I'm telling you I will never do it again. So there's a you different know. level here that you gotta remember and I hope there's that many. I pray you're right. Uh, but I hesitate in thinking. And if there is 10, just say, out of 535, what percent is that, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, 53 would be 10%. 5.3 would be 1%. So you're talking maybe 1%, 2% at best would have the guts to not only admit it, but to say I'll, and promise never to do it again and publicly literally detail that reality uh, and publicly pledge that to all voters. That is the key. Very, very humble but you know what? This is the guy that gave his life at the Alamo. So, hey, he is a true patriot for sure. And we need to seek for patriots like that. I believe Stuart Rhodes is a patriot, folks. I know a lot of people are throwing him under the bus, claiming that he's part of the deep state and everything else. I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. I'm not accepting it. There's no proof of that. But at the Oath Keepers trial now, Stuart Rhodes is testifying that the 2020 election was unconstitutional. Lol. This is incredible. Yes, he. the prosecution rested <clears throat> last week, and so Friday was the first day of defense, and the defense attorney put <clears throat> Stuart Rhodes on the stand to testify and uh, then asked him straight out, he said, you know, do you think that the, um, the 2020 election was stolen? Well, Stuart Rhodes just boldly said, look, the election was unconstitutional, and, and, and just plain out explained it was invalid because it did not comply with Article 2 of the Constitution. And so I found this very interesting, Sam. You know, you probably are familiar with a lot of this because you know Stuart, and I've met him, but I didn't know a lot of his background. I just thought this was very interesting. I didn't know that he was one-quarter Mexican. He was born in Fresno, California. You know, people are calling him uh, a racist. Well, there's no way he's a racist. I mean, uh, he's. Um, I, 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 I already gave you his his own. Um, you know the fact that he was one 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 fourth Mexican, and, and in fact, both sides of his family served in different military branches. And so he's he's not afraid of military service. He's patriotic duty. He served uh, in.
in the Army doing special ops. He became a weapons, in, uh, weapons expert. He got injured in, uh, while training in parachute jumping, honorably discharged as a disabled veteran. And, um, and so why is he doing, and, and he founded the Oath Keepers organization in 2009, okay? So that's like 12, 13 years ago. And why? It was to educate the military and the law enforcement on how to distinguish between legitimate and illegitimate orders. He wanted people to be aware of their constitutional rights. His main concern was how authorities responded to natural disasters and how citizens were treated. And despite the recent label of the Oath Keepers organization as a racist, white supremacist, far-right group, I mean, that's what they're labeling them as, Rhodes said the organization has members who are Native Americans, Filipino Americans, African Americans, and others. He denied having any racist members within the Oath Keepers uh, uh, organization. He said, he simply said, we wouldn't tolerate that. And so, um, anyway, Oath Keepers, they put the Constitution and country above everything else. Uh, he also said that the Constitution is for righteous people. That's a very interesting statement coming from, from Stewart, you know, who organized and founded Oath Keepers. But it's so true. The Constitution is for righteous people because it takes a righteous people, as Ben Franklin said, and as John Adams said, and as George Washington said, it's only fit for a moral and upright people, and it's unfit for any other. So if, if, we're, if we're an evil people, then, then we don't deserve the Constitution. So the, the answer is to repent. <clears throat> the people have to repent. That's, that's you and me, Sam. It's everybody li listening to the sound of our voices. We need collectively as a country and individually to repent of our sins and weaknesses, and we need to acknowledge uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and God in heaven above as the one who can heal our land if we will simply repent and turn to him. So anyway, Stuart Rhodes, uh, he'll continue Yeah, I consider Stuart tomorrow. a dear friend. Uh, I know yep. him personally. Uh, I'm not saying I'm his best friend or anything. I'm just telling you that I know him quite well. I've had many private conversations with him in person uh, and over the phone. I have literally worked with him on security for events uh, plenty of times. And I'm telling you right now, the idea that he's a racist is an insane, psychotic lack of truth reality, ladies and gentlemen. It's just not true. And for him to take the stand is very, very risky. But he's willing to do it because he knows what he's talking about. He's a trained attorney uh, from Yale uh, in addition to his military service. Uh, look, I'm telling you right now, the guy is a good guy, and I'm not buying uh, all this turn against Stuart Rhodes. Let's defend him. Let's stand with him, uh, unless you have proof otherwise that you can positively show. I'm not going to accept it. Now, maybe you don't like his tactics. That's up to you. But I'm telling you right now that I am convinced Stuart Rhodes is a good guy, and I'm not backing down, and I'm not throwing him under the bus. I just will not do it. Uh, and I will tell you one other thing about Stuart Rhodes. Not only is he standing up for what he believes, but you look at his track record. He's been in all kinds of places and uh, all kinds of uh, hot zones in the United States, meaning riots and everything else. And every time him and the Oath Keepers have been on the side of law enforcement, I know law enforcement personnel that have been grateful for the Oath Keepers' support uh, and their involvement. I know that they have decreased violence. They have prevented attacks and protected people. And including there's video evidence in the, the EpicTimes.com film about January 6th that absolutely shatters the government lie narrative. Uh, and in that, there are uh, Oath Keepers who are literally 
uh, going in up the stairs uh, in a military formation to split the crowd. They go in and they get a bunch of police officers and they bring them out to safety. Okay, that is on video. And so when you say that they're just destroying and they're attacking, it's a lie, folks. And the last point that I would make is if Stuart Rhodes really wanted to, why did they leave all their weapons on the other side of the river? Why didn't they bring their weapons into Washington, D.C.? And the answer is because they had them at the ready in case Trump needed them. They didn't bring them because they weren't intending on violence. If that's not as strong of case to make the point between those two facts, I don't know what is. The video for the Epic Times that the government won't show you showing them literally bringing police officers to safety. And then secondly, the fact is the weapons were left across the river, left in Virginia or whatever, not brought into D.C. because they were only going to bring them in if they felt like they had to. They didn't. Is that positive proof enough? So they're lying to you about Stuart Rhodes. And he's right. The Constitution does not authorize Congress to do these things. Look, the fact is they are violating Article 2 of the Constitution. That's really, really Uh, important to understand, ladies and gentlemen. All right, there's 10 points to true election integrity that we want to highlight before the end of the hour because tomorrow is election day. Vote in person. Become a very important voter. Vote in person. But these 10 points to true election integrity, we need to basically not only double down for this election, but we need to really double down and defend and promote well into the future because we're not going to solve this in one election cycle. Lowell, this is a long-term strategy and effort, sir. Number one, we got to clean up the voter rolls, Sam. No more dead people voting. No more people who've moved away from your neighborhood. They shouldn't be voting in your election. And Let me be really to... quick. That means you got to get out of Eric. E R I C. Get out of Eric now. <laughs> That's right. How, how do you think we got 110% turnout in some of our precincts across the country in 2020, folks? Well, it's because of voter rolls that have, were not accurate. They got to be cleaned up. Number two, we got to eliminate all electronic uh, equipment, computers, uh, Scantron machines, anything that counts ballots or that manufactures ballots and counts them. Uh, we got to get rid of those. We got to get back to paper, we got, which is then hand counted and is easily visible uh, to poll watchers because that's how we're going to restore confidence in our elections if people can actually see the ballots being counted, if they can see an empty box at the beginning of the day and nothing but the contents of the box uh, being counted at the end of the day, and, and knowing that anybody who casts a ballot into the box lives in their neighborhood and is a registered voter. I mean, those are the elements of a secure election. So number two, we got to remove, get rid of the computers, go back to paper ballots. Number three, require voter ID. The people who give you a ballot there at the polling station need to know that you're registered to vote and, and that you are a valid voter. And they need to know you. Um, you know, so 30 years ago, the three election judges in my precinct, they all knew who I was. I knew them. And I don't think I ever showed them my driver's license because they knew I, I was their neighbor and they were my neighbors. So very easy when the precincts are small, then it's for, for the election judges to know everybody in their neighborhood. Number four, ban mail-in voting. This, this is one of the worst things that ever came along was mail-in uh, voting uh, because you can you can corrupt election. There's no chain of custody on your ballot. You're, the, the father of the family might be voting for all of the people in his household instead of allowing them to vote on their own. You just don't know what goes on behind closed doors and around the kitchen table. And so we got to ban mail-in voting. we got to ban early voting. Uh, instead of having 
election month. We need to get back to election day. Uh, you know, yeah, we could allow for absentee uh, voting for those who simply cannot vote in person, but but for the most part, 99% of the people they can they can go to the polls, they can vote. They needs to be done in person. Uh, number six, make smaller precincts. Now, Seth Keschel was saying 1,200 or fewer voters. I say 1,000 uh, or fewer voters. That's what it was here in the state of Utah for a lot of years. It's now 1250, but we need to ratchet that back down to a thousand or fewer voters, in my opinion. Number seven, ban ballot harvesting. That's where people just go and you know, maybe go to a rest home and collect ballots from all of the older uh, people there and, you know, promise to vote the way they want them to vote or, or help them fill out their ballot, you know. And of course, as you and I, you and I both know, they will have some questions about you know, who to vote for, and so they'll accept the ballot harvester's recommendation and or the ballot harvester will simply fill in the, the, the vote for, for whoever he wants, regardless of what the older person says. So we got to ban ballot harvesting, number eight. We need to make the election day a holiday. Number nine, implement new reporting requirements for transparency. <clears throat> no, no more of this, you know, well, we need to wait another day for more ballots to come in. Oh, we need to wait another day for more ballots to come in. All the while, they're manufacturing and printing these, these mail-in ballots that are not creased, <laughs> right? And finally, number 10, impose severe penalties on those convicted of election fraud, right? Um, and that adds to my 11, which is we need to have them all, the vote counters, the election officials, everybody in a given precinct um, uh, in writing, confirm the ballot count under the penalty of perjury. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, if it's good enough for my tax returns, it's good enough for your vote. I'm with you on that, Sam. You know, and the way we did it in Utah for a lot of years, we'd have three election judges. They'd be the ones meeting and greeting the public as they came in to vote. And you, then you'd have three election judges who actually count the ballots. And so the ballots could be counted, you know, starting in the early afternoon by these other three election judges. And poll watchers could, of course, watch that. And, 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 then, and then by the end of the night, those poll watchers, and I'm sorry, the poll, the poll judges, they would call, they would telephone the county clerk with the numbers. Say, in our precinct, you know, so-and-so got this many votes and so forth. So that was well known. And so you knew by the 10 o'clock news who had won the election. Well, in France, I'm here to tell you that in France, they just did an election with 3.3 million votes cast, and they were all hand-counted. They were all on paper ballots, Sam. All 3.3 million were counted on but, you know, by hand, it was on paper. And it was done, it was done timely, day. ladies and gentlemen. Same day results, Sam. Yep. Folks, this is what we need to do. Don't give up. This is not an election cycle discussion. This is a long-term accountability transparency discussion. And we have got the blueprint of what we need to do. Now we, the people, just need to assemble ourselves and demand it. After all, they work for us. They derive their just power from the consent of the governed. Let's go, people. Vote in person and then help us demand for accountability and integrity in our elections. It all starts with transparency. For Lowell Nelson and Sam Bushman, uh, let's see. Campaignforliberty.org, lovingliberty.net. Spread the word. The Red Pill Expo coming up this weekend. TheRedPillExpo.com. Check it out. For Lowell and Sam and Scott and Mickey, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the republic. God save the republic. God save the republic. God save the republic. God save the republic.
God save the Republic.